WFUV's Disharmony podcast is sponsored by Aspiration, the credit card that rewards customers for going carbon neutral to help combat climate change. One card, zero carbon footprint. Learn more at aspiration.com slash credit. Aspiration Financial, LLC. In previous episodes of Disharmony, we've listened to songs that express sadness, frustration, and anger about the climate crisis. We've also heard inspirational and political songs that encourage listeners to get involved with the climate movement. But some songs about climate change are downright pessimistic. Radiohead's Idiotech warns us about the looming apocalypse. Justin Vernon asks if it's human nature to ignore catastrophe in Bonnie Vare's Second Nature. Neil Young mourns the destruction of the environment in his song, Mother Earth. Oh, Mother Earth, with your fields of green, once more lay down by the hungry hand. These songs are about climate grief the mourning of the loss of ecosystems, landscapes, species, and ways of life. The American Psychological Association says as climate change escalates, mental health problems related to climate change are becoming more common. They say concern about climate change coupled with worry about the future can lead to fear, anger, feelings of powerlessness, exhaustion, stress, and sadness. Some communities are forming climate crisis support groups where they manage stress and anxiety caused by climate change. In 2015, a group of people in Scotland started getting together regularly for a climate cafe, where they share ideas for climate action. Since then, people all over the world have started climate cafes in their communities. Facing the climate crisis can be overwhelming. But how can music be used as a tool for coping with the climate crisis? How can we turn climate grief into action? I'm Courtney Bergseeker with WFUV News, and this is Disharmony, how music is responding to climate change. In our fifth and final episode, we'll hear from a folk musician about writing music about climate change. We'll also hear from an author who writes about managing climate grief. Joan Shelley is a folk artist from Louisville, Kentucky. On her album, Like the River Loves the Sea, Shelley writes about the climate crisis like she would write about a breakup or heartbreak. She says it's tricky to write about the climate because she wants to write about it authentically, but the climate crisis is a heavy subject, and she doesn't want to dishearten listeners or push them away. Her song titled The Fading is about the bittersweet feeling of loving something that may not last. What feelings are present on the album that reflect climate change as an issue or emotions about climate change? You know, even though some of the songs may be about relationships that I have within my family or, you know, it can be about all these things. But when you have such a big concern like climate change that is ever present, that anxiety really you know, it's, it steeps in anxiety and 
I've always believed that um, music and art could help us be honest about our anxieties. And if you can do that, then it keeps you from freezing up. So some songs, you know, just starts with love and it's like, but also aren't we worried? You know, this, the bigger picture always comes in and I try to keep that in my songs and that album, it really um, highlighted that rather than trying to make it really subtle because I don't want to uh, oppress people with my, you know, my particular worries, but then it became a little more urgent. In many of your songs, it's hard to tell whether you're singing about climate change or a romantic relationship. Is that intentional? You're right. <laughs> your read is, is blurry and intentionally so. The sweet spot for me is when you can take something so articulated and well-trained in us, like a love relationship, and blur the line to make people fall more deeply in love with the earth is kind of been something that has stuck with me as one of the ways through this, right? It's always strong to me when I hear a song that has love is a more complicated thing than just romance or sexuality. It's something that can be um, between friends, between lovers, or between yourself and the earth. And so it's just something, some people won't feel that. Some people will just say, oh, this is about a girlfriend and boyfriend. And then people who, who are having that heartache about their place in the world can feel it on all these other levels. And that's available but it's not pushing in your face. Walk me through the writing process for The Fading. The Fading would be my best example of that. A lot of times I write things and I learn as I go too. So I was learning when I wrote that song, kind of how it worked. It was like, you know, you start with things close to you that you know the best, say a lover. And then you go to like the things you really need to make your life work, like in the musician's life, the cars, right? Driving and touring. It's like, if this car breaks down, do we have the resilience? Do we have the plan? Do we have the, the sense of humor <laughs> to go, go with it? And then, you know, the, the lines that ring true for my place in the world, which is Louisville, Kentucky, which has a city in a floodplain naturally occurring for centuries and uh, who knows how long before we got here. You know, when that river floods, were you honest enough to see that, like, we live in a floodplain? <laughs> Are we resilient here or are we going to just be like, well, this breakup, I didn't see any of it coming. I didn't see it, you know, any of its tragedies in the beginning. But anybody who's read any books or read any plays or been a part of the tradition that is human has seen technology breaks down, relationships break down. It's what you do with the pieces of it um, that makes the great human story. Was there a certain moment that inspired you to write The Fading? Was there like a particular catalyst? My drive takes me on like right alongside the Ohio River, which is on River Road. So you just you look at the city the way I come in. I see the skyline of our city and I I'm watching the river. It's it's such a <laughs> my relationship with the river is very complicated. It's, a, it's one of the most polluted rivers in the country. It's very muddy, and so it always looks brown. And it's such a hopeful thing <laughs> to be a city on the river like that. Like it's because we had a the '37 flood is a 1937 flood in Louisville was like this big event. It it changed neighborhoods, it moved entire populations of people, and there was a big concert that happened to help with flood relief. Um, people came from out of town and played all these shows, and um, yeah, it was. <sighs> It's like, these are moments we can come together. It was just a mix of all those things. It's like 
sometimes beautiful stuff happens out of those disasters um, because we get in touch with our hearts. I think that's what it comes down to is like, we get our hearts broken and we remember, we remember. We aspire to like the finished product, the clean room, the perfect building, the, the perfectly planted shrubs or something. But we live our lives in the building of those things, in the breakdown of those things. Like the time that we're actually at perfection is so little. And so if you don't enjoy the fading as well and the building, then you're missing out on like most of your life, I guess. You're, in, you're not enjoying most of the time here. Why do you think artists, including yourself, write music about the climate crisis? I think artists have always been antennas. They pick up on what the group is feeling and they express it before people can find words. So yeah, some of my favorite writers, like right now, the weather station, everything she writes, I'm like, repost, retweet, you know, just like she's, she's totally got it. And she's writing more directly about it than I really have the guts to. Um, because you don't want to feel like a bummer, right? Like music has always been part of people's weddings and funerals and yeah, you don't want to be a bummer. And it's really hard to get directly at the problem without bringing people into depression because that would make it, that would be awful to make everyone freeze up and just feel bad. I think if anybody's feeling something and they have the ability to paint or write and sing and dance about it, that's exactly what they should be doing and nothing else like you shouldn't be trying to write like a pop hit if you're feeling out of sync with that sentiment it's hard to communicate with like commercial music like mega hits because like be being real and i realize a lot of people live in different realities and are taking different attitudes towards this um that's my nicest way of saying that but yeah if you're not in reality you're probably not making good art is my feeling. So I just want to hear what people are feeling. I want to hear all the perspectives. I want to see art made around this so that I know we're all living in the same world. <laughs> Does creating music about climate change have any therapeutic or cathartic properties to it? I bet it doesn't if you're just writing about the grief. Um, like if you were just to, to take the reports and be like, this is what we're going to lose and this is what we're going to lose. I bet that doesn't create too much uh, catharsis. Um, but I don't know. I haven't tried it. But one of the, my favorite things is going into writing with a question, not really knowing. That's the thing. It's if you come in knowing what you're going to say, um, like atom bombs are bad you're probably gonna write a bad song. <laughs> but if you're going in trying to learn something, if you're going in with questions, I often find people write more brilliant songs. I've been working with some friends, uh, musicians and uh, visual artists, trying to come up with ways to communicate to people who are persuadable, you know, that we can take bigger actions. And that's been a real journey because you're looking at history, like what protests really work? What, what things worked? And a lot of the things we're seeing is it's like, you know, come out with your biggest, most beautiful thing. Like not really anti-protest, you know? It's just like, let's bring your biggest party. Let's totally fall in love with the idea that 
we're going to have a livable earth and seasons. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of seasons. Yeah, so that's the question. And I would pose that to any other artists and people thinking about this. It's like, what has worked to change minds? And, and what role did art have in it? And if those people, if there's answers, like, I'd love to hear. <laughs> I cheered the flood when the water hit the walls and one. That was folk artist Joan Shelley. Like Shelley, Dr. Kimberly Nicholas is in touch with the range of emotions people feel about the climate crisis. Nicholas is a sustainability scientist at Lund University in Sweden. She noticed many people are concerned about the climate crisis, but don't know how they can help fix it. So she wrote Under the Sky We Make, How to Be Human in a Warming World. The book is an introduction to basic climate science and offers steps readers can take to make more sustainable choices. It's also about making meaning in the climate crisis and turning climate grief into climate action. What drew you to writing about climate change in a more emotional way? I think it was two things. One, it was my own emotions that could no longer be avoided when we are now living through the climate crisis. And when I started studying climate change, it was felt distant even to me um, in space and time. It was something that was happening in the future. And it's now something that's happening now. And I can see the impacts in the places that I love, places that I've studied for many years. And really most people on earth are already experiencing firsthand the impacts of climate change. So when it affects our daily lived experience, that affects our lives, including our emotions. And secondly, I think communicating in this way, I've realized that people don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's so much more effective to connect with people emotionally both sharing my own stories and through listening and hearing what matters to people and being able to connect that to why a stable climate is critical for whatever it is that we love. How are metaphors, poetry, and lyrics helpful for conversations about the climate crisis? I love language, and I think it's so important to be able to talk about important things in different ways that can connect with different audiences. So for publishing a peer-reviewed scientific paper, it's great that we have really technical specific language that is suited to that audience. But for communicating and, and talking about and linking to our everyday lives, we need other metaphors and ways of talking about it. And I think both having examples that people can relate to and also it's not just scientists, but also, as you mentioned, poetry and art and literature and music and other ways of reaching people and communicating that are so important in making the climate crisis feel as real and as tangible as it is and, and giving us what we need to actually come together. How can making music and art be an important part of the grief process um, caused by climate change that you write about? Well, I remember there used to be this account called LOL My Thesis, which was summarized as years of work in one sentence, basically. And I remember reading about this master's thesis, I think it was, that said, first you hear music, then you feel feelings. This is the conclusion of their thesis. So, I mean, I think art and of all kinds can evoke emotion. And, and I have a, a good friend who is a choreographer here in Sweden. And we were talking once about the difference between what I do as a scientist and what he's doing as a creator. And he said, you know, I'm just trying to evoke emotion. 
I actually don't care what emotion it is. Like the purpose of my art what is to evoke emotion. And I thought that was so interesting because it really differed from what I was trying to do in conveying specific facts in scientific papers, for example. But I think being able to evoke emotion and have a space for emotion is really important. And I've felt that personally. I mean, for me, reading climate fiction has been really important to stretch my imagination and engage with friends and think about the future in a, in a different way and sort of have a different live through fiction in a different way um, and explore different futures. And art has also been really important for me for having physical, tangible ways of relating to experiences that otherwise can seem really abstract. You write that the climate needs everyone's talents. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what that means? What I really want to encourage people to do is to spend 10% of their energy, which could be time or money or talent or everything, towards fixing the climate crisis. And we know from research that right now, the majority of Americans, and the majority of people in most countries are already aware and they're already actually concerned or alarmed about climate change. So they want to help, but most people spend very little time thinking, talking, reading, acting about climate in their daily lives. So that's the gap I really want to close. And I think if people can realize the roles, it's not about adding more stuff to your to-do list. It's about shifting what you're already doing in the places that you already live and work and play and go to school and vacation and within your daily life, making those choices and coming together in communities to scale up the impact of those choices, that can have a huge transformative power. Tell me a little bit about the five stages of climate acceptance. Ignorance, avoidance, doom, all the feels and purpose. So this is my conception of a journey that I think many of us are on, and it's not a one time, you know, going from A to B, it can be quite circular. But I realize that I think a lot of people get stuck. I mean, many people are through ignorance. It's not that you have to understand every last detail of the latest climate science, but it's enough to know it's warming, it's us, we're sure, it's bad, we can fix it. That's enough science for if you're not a scientist. But then a lot of people get stuck in avoidance where it's more uncomfortable to face some of the difficult truths of the climate crisis than to actually go through them. And I think what is holding a lot of people stuck in stage two there is this feeling of doom, which is stage three, feeling like if I actually face the facts, it's going to be too scary and overwhelming and I'll just totally freak out and not be able to live my life anymore. And so I wanted people to, to kind of, I wanted to shine a light and say, you know, this isn't the case. It's not all doom and gloom. There is a path forward. And the only way forward is through. You actually do need to go through some of these challenging, but also exhilarating feelings of grief and loss, but also love and community and uh, anger and all the feelings that are there to help orient us towards purpose. And I really want to help people find their climate purpose, figuring out what is it that I love doing that I'm good at and that is meaningful and necessary for stabilizing the climate, protecting people and nature. How can I contribute my skills towards that enormous, necessary, huge project that's really like building a cathedral and everyone has a role to play in that? Is there climate music or art that particularly inspires you right now? So 
artists that I really appreciate, there's a Swedish uh, duo called Bigert and Bergström, and they've done a lot of art, some of which has been exhibited locally here at a museum that's uh, right across the street from my office and elsewhere as well. But I think that's been really um, helpful to me. You know, one example that I, I write about in the book is they had this monumental sculpture of a rhino and um, I saw that an image of that sculpture on the day that I heard about the death of the last male northern white rhino. And I had kind of scrolled past that bad news on my phone and wasn't really, you know, that was definitely an avoidance moment. I was just like, I can't really take this in. But actually being in a museum several years ago, having kind of the time and space to actually stare at and relate to this object gave me a chance to have that experience in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise. And I think similarly for music, um, I mean, music is so good at evoking feelings. And I actually made a playlist called If My Book Were Music, that is kind of a chapter for chapter response, or at least some kind of song that has a meaning for me or a connection to each of the chapters in my book. Um, Florence and the Machine is, there's a song that like really, an Arcade Fire on there as well, like those, have been important musicians to me at different points in my life. And I feel like those those artists to me have been important for persistence and kind of this feeling of like acknowledging when things are tough and keep going anyway and finding moments of light and meaning and connection throughout. That was Dr. Kimberly Nicholas author of Under the Sky We Make, How to Be Human in a Warming World. Emotions about the climate crisis emerge in Joan Shelley's lyrics naturally, but they're not all about destruction and sadness. For her, writing about climate change comes from a place of care for the earth. It's a daunting subject to write and think about. Dr. Kimberly Nicholas says writing and listening to music can help us navigate climate grief and encourage us to find purpose and meaning in the climate crisis. Musicians from all genres have and continue to make music about the environment. Their songs incorporate emotions related to climate change, and many include calls to action. As we've heard in this podcast, organizations use music to encourage people to get involved in the climate movement. Like every industry, the music industry is complicit in climate change. But artists and organizations are finding solutions to reduce the industry's environmental impact. Dr. Kimberly Nicholas says climate change affects every part of our lives including our music. It both reflects how we feel about the climate crisis and encourages us to do something about it. Thanks for listening. Let us know what you think by tweeting at disharmony underscore WFUV. Special thanks to Joan Shelley and Dr. Kimberly Nicholas for being part of the podcast. WFUV's George Bodarki for all his help. Rachel Liesendahl for contributing the cover art, and my dad, Joe Berkseeker, for contributing the music. I'm Courtney Berkseeker with WFUV News, and this is Disharmony, how music is responding to climate change. <laughs>